John chapter 3. There's a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus, how can an old man go back into his mother's room and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible, Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. For this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent His Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We spent these last five weeks together talking about what I would say is arguably one of the most important parts of how a follower of Jesus Christ is to live out their life on a day-to-day basis. And that is to be a blessing, to be someone who with purpose and intentionality seeks to be a blessing in the lives of those they are around, their family, their friends, their co-workers and neighbors, even strangers. The covenant that was made with Abraham in Genesis 12 said this, he said, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who who treat you with contempt, and all the families on earth will be blessed through you. This was a covenant that God made uh, between himself and Abraham, but it was also between God and all of Abraham's lineage, of which you and I are a part today. We are a part of that lineage because we are children of faith. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Galatians 3, and he says that it is our faith that brings us into that lineage, and now we are recipients of that same blessing. This is what Paul says. He says, so all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing that Abraham received because of his faith. Perhaps it would be easier in the, in the practice of our faith, to lay claim to that blessing part and then to neglect the responsibility that comes with it. I think that would be a little bit easier. But if we do that, we're not just missing the point, I'm going to tell you this morning, that we are being disobedient to God's purpose and God's plan for our lives as His children. 
We are making the tragic mistake of believing that our salvation is intended to pave the pathway to an eternal reward rather than to position us in our present for kingdom responsibility. To be a blessing to someone else is is not an incredibly difficult task, but it can be a daunting one. Many of us are the types of personalities where we would just prefer to walk into any given space and to don our relational blinders in the chance that we might see someone who actually wants to talk to us. And so it's just easier to stay focused and to stay on task and, and to get, get done what we need to get done. And many of us are very content with the circles that we have built around ourselves that are primarily filled with, with family and the friends that we feel safe with. Many of us are happy with a church that is filled with people that look like us and talk like us and live like us and think like us. But if we are going to live lives that are seeking to be a blessing, much of what I have just described is necessarily going to have to go out the window. Jesus has been our model for what it looks like to be a blessing. We've looked at over the last five weeks, and we've seen how time and again in his life he purposely sought to engage with his heavenly Father so that he could be a blessing in some way or another. He would purposely remove the blinders that we so often put on by going to the Father in prayer and by seeking his direction and by seeking his guidance and by seeking his will. Jesus, the Son of God, did this. He began with prayer. He allowed his his own tasks and his own agenda to be, to be set aside, and he took the time to listen to the hearts of those who needed someone to hear them. He sat around a table of fellowship, tables of fellowship, really, with people that were not like him in any way, so much so that he was condemned and he was ridiculed for the choices that he was making. And he served those who were diseased, and broken, and filthy, and and hurting, and rejected. And he chose to bless because he knew that it was in the work of being a blessing that the door would be opened for him to reveal himself to the other, to show them who he was, to let them know what it was that he came to do, to tell them why he was there, and what exactly that meant for their lives. This is what we see today in our story from Nicodemus. You see, Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee, a religious scholar in his day, and he was a part of a group that, that really did not like what Jesus was doing. He was causing them trouble. His message did not line up with the message that the Pharisees had been teaching, and certainly not the message that the Pharisees were living. But Nicodemus, he saw something in Jesus. There was something that he'd heard from Jesus, something that he saw in Jesus that intrigued him enough that he made the decision to go to Jesus and begin to ask him some questions. He wanted to probe his mind to try to figure out just what Jesus was truly all about. And our text says that he came to him in the night. 
And he began by admitting to Jesus that Jesus must surely have come from God because what he was doing could not be explained any other way. And then Jesus began to say some difficult things. For instance, he told Nicodemus that in order to truly see God's kingdom, he was going to have to be born again. And this language, rightly so, confused Nicodemus. It would confuse most of us if we hadn't heard it before. The idea of being born again. An old man, let a young, let a young man or even a child, cannot go back into his mother's womb and come back out again. And this is why this whole idea confused Nicodemus. But this was not what Jesus was talking about. He was talking about being born of the Spirit of God. Jesus is talking about being born through faith, about putting on a new life, about allowing your heart to be radically transformed through the work of the Holy Spirit in you. But Nicodemus still didn't quite get it, and so Jesus calls him on it. You remember, when Nicodemus was a religious scholar, a Pharisee, Nicodemus knew the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. He knew it. He studied it inside and out. He would have known the prophecies. He would have known the promises. He would have known fully well about this covenant that God had made with Abraham. He would have known about the Messiah that was to come. And yet with the Messiah sitting right in front of him, he did not get it. And so Jesus, he seizes this moment. And he seizes the moment to tell Nicodemus his story. And his story was this. Jesus said, you know, just as Moses lifted up the snake on that pole so the children could look at it, children of Israel could look at it and they could have hope, I'm going to have to be lifted up. I'm going to have to be lifted up so that people can look to me and believe in me. And because of that, they will have life. He says, you see, God the Father, he sent me because he loved all of this. His creation, he loved it so much. That's why he sent me, Nicodemus. He says, you know, Nicodemus, I am, I am his only son. And he sent me. That's how much he loves you, Nicodemus. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to save you. Once again, the, the life of Jesus gives us a picture of what it looks like to live a life of blessing. Jesus told Nicodemus his story, and history tells us that it changed Nicodemus. If you keep on reading the Gospel of John, you will see that later on, Nicodemus stood up for Jesus in front of his peers. He defended him. You also see that around Jesus' death, it was Nicodemus who brought in all these spices and things to prepare Jesus for his burial. What happened that night between Nicodemus and Jesus changed him. Now, some historians have gone, gone on to say that Nicodemus because he, 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 he became, basically became a Christian, chose to follow Jesus, was rejected by the Pharisees, lost all of his wealth, and it ruined his life. Whatever happened that night between Jesus and Nicodemus changed his life. If we are going to bless others, if we are going to be a blessing and share the good news of Jesus Christ, 
sometimes words are necessary. You just can't get around it. I don't know about you guys, but there have been times in my life when I could just kind of feel, <sighs> you get that feeling in your gut like, mm, I think God wants me to say something here. I think maybe God, has, God is orchestrating a moment and maybe he wants me to say something to this person. You ever had that feeling? It's the worst. You're like, oh, no, 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 I can't, I can't, I've got, a, I've got something I've got to do and I've got places I've got to be, and I, maybe they don't want to hear it. I've had it happen, and guys, I'll, I confess, there are times that I have failed to say anything. The voice in my head was telling me, now is the time, was not as loud as the other voices. Perhaps you've heard those other voices. Those other voices they say things like, I just don't have what it takes. I just don't have what it takes. See, many people think in order to share their story, to talk about Jesus, or to share about what God has been doing in their lives, they've got to be like a super religious kind of person. They've got to understand the Bible all the way through. They've got to be able to quote scriptures, and they've got to be able to answer any question that comes their way. But guess what? That's just not true. It's just not true. You see, more often than not, when people who are searching, who are asking questions, listen, who are sitting at your table, you know what they're looking for? They're looking for someone who is willing to be open and just have a real conversation. To just be real. And here's the truth. You will not always have the answers. I do not always have the answers. It is 100% okay to say, I don't know. But you do have something better than the answers. You have the Spirit of God. Jesus, when he sent out his disciples, he was sending them out to, to spread the good news in Matthew's gospel, he said this to them. He said, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. What? Don't worry about what you have to say, but I don't have scripture. Don't worry about what you have to say, but I don't know the Romans. Don't worry about what you have to say because God will give you the right words at the right time. Why? Because it's not you who will be speaking. It will be the spirit of your Father speaking through you. Whew. Man, what a relief. Just think about that for a moment. That's like, that's like a huge sigh of relief. I don't have to have the answers. Why? Because God has the answers. And his spirit is alive in me. You know one of the funniest things that I deal with as a preacher? It's after a sermon and someone comes up to me and they say, Pastor, when you said da, 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 and I'm wrecking my brain, I've got, I've got, I'm going, I never said that. I, I literally never, I don't ever, I go back and watch the video. I never said that. What's going on? The Spirit of God is speaking to you. 
I can't tell you how many times, man, pastor, when you said this, that really rocked my world. If you ever meet a pastor and he goes, well, <laughs> what can I say? Leave, run, run. <laughs> the Spirit of God is speaking to you, speaking through me to you. It's powerful stuff. Someone once said that good news is better than good arguments. And I think that we have that backward in our world because we spend a lot of time working on our arguments and not a whole lot of time working on the good news. We spend more time trying to find out the answers to questions that we've already been told to not busy ourselves with than making sure that we are solidly in love with our Heavenly Father. See, here's the thing. If you're following Jesus, key, key piece of information here, if you're following Jesus, you have the Spirit of God living inside of you, and you have what it takes. Okay, well, but I really don't want to impose my beliefs on my friends and my family. You've probably seen in the movies and on television or perhaps live and in person someone that fits this mold. It's, it's the angry Christian. You know, someone who, who shouts at the top of their lungs and they, they spend more time spouting threats and warnings than promises of God. That's the good news, by the way. What Jesus sent his disciples to teach. And if you are afraid of being that person, good. <laughs> Don't be that person. Don't be the angry Christian. But if we're following the example of Jesus, then what leads our way cannot be anger. It must be humility. Somebody once wrote that Christianity is one beggar telling another beggar where he found the bread. Let me ask you something. If you, if you found something, like something that just radically changed your life for the better, If you found something that, that altered the course of your history, wouldn't you want to tell others about it? If you just kept it to yourself, it, it'd be like hoarding the bread that others need to not go hungry. The Apostle Paul said this in his letter to the Romans. He said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? In our North American Western Christianity, what we have done too often is we have said, and how can they hear about him unless pastor tells them? Pastor, I've got someone that you need to talk to about Jesus. Pastor, I'm bringing someone to church on Sunday so they can hear you preach about Jesus. Pastor, I'd like, to, I'd like, I'd like you to sit down with my friend and tell them about Jesus. How can they hear about him unless... 
pastor tells them. Can I reframe this for you for just a moment? How can they hear about him unless Mike tells them? How can they hear about them unless Marilyn tells them? How can they hear about him unless Kevin tells them? Tara tells them. Leanne tells them. Anna tells them. Robin tells them. How are they going to hear unless you tell them? This is not my job. My job is not to tell them for you. My job is to swiftly nudge you and remind you that you must tell them. Your words can point people who are desperate for life-saving bread to where it can be found. People who are desperate for something else, for something better. And guess what? Your story is compelling because it's your story. Okay, all right, but listen, sharing my story makes me uncomfortable. I get it. Here's the thing. Sharing your story, it might make you uncomfortable. You might stumble over your words. You might say, you might not say everything just exactly right. But are you really going to allow those feelings that you have to be the difference between life and death for somebody else? For someone that you love? For someone that you care about? Someone that God has placed in your proximity? Did you ever think that maybe the people that are in your proximity have been placed there by God on purpose and he is just waiting for you to tell them your story? But how do you tell your story? Well, let me tell you another story. This one we find in John chapter 9. It's about a story, a story about a man who was blind, born blind all of his life. We don't know his name, but we know that his blindness had led him to a place where he had to beg just to make ends meet. So he's a blind man that was also a beggar, and John's gospel tells us that Jesus came across this man, and he did something really odd. I would not recommend this. He spits on the ground into the dirt. And he made some mud and he put it on the man's eyes. And then Jesus told him to go wash out his eyes. And he did that. And John tells us that when he came back, he could see. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of people putting on those glasses that they can see color for the first time. Have you ever seen this? Some people born with, I think, primarily. I don't know that it can happen later in life, I'm sure. But they, they it's also very, when you realize how dirty your glasses are. Um, and you, but they take these, a lot of times they have these little parties, you know, 
because they've got these glasses for dad or for mom or for grandma or for grandpa or whomever, and, and they, they open them up, and they're not cheap. I'm, I can only guess they're not cheap. They take those glasses out, and as soon as they see them, they know what they are. Because all their life, they've wanted, they've wanted one of these to be able to see this. And then, and then he takes he or she takes the glasses, they put them on, and it's like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that it, that it look at that, look at her bright orange jacket. That is amazing. Look at the colors. Look at all the vibrant colors, all the gray hair. <laughs> Look at this. This is I've never seen this before. And if they're outside, which they usually are, then maybe they see the colors of the flowers and the colors of the trees, and maybe there's a big bunch of balloons, and they're, they're just completely captivated by it and drawn in because for the first time in their life, they can see color. For the first time in his life, he saw. He had never seen anything before in his life, and the strangest thing happened. This guy comes up to him, spits, puts mud on his eyes, tells him to wash his eyes, and now he can see. And his friends they see that he can see. I mean, I bet it was completely obvious. They're like, dude, what happened here? And he says, this man, they called Jesus. He came, he made some mud, he put it on my eyes, he told me to go and wash, and I did, and I could see. Notice he didn't talk about getting spit on. He says, but, but now I can see. He couldn't fully explain this man they called Jesus, he didn't know who Jesus was. This man they called Jesus, he came, made some mud, put it on my eyes, I washed, I could see. He doesn't really understand. Other than now, he can see. What's so awesome about this is that sometimes we can't explain fully what's happened in our own lives. That brought us to the place where we chose to follow Jesus. We just know what happened and that's okay. Later on, when they ask him again, he says, I was blind, but now I see. <laughs> I was blind, but now I see. Something's changed in me. So if we want to know how to share our story, it's really this simple. This was my life before Jesus. I was blind. I, I was a beggar. I really didn't have a whole lot going for me. This is how I met Jesus. He actually just showed up. He just showed up. He came walking by. And he, he, he put some mud on my eyes. Don't, tell me how, don't, let me, don't make me tell you how that happened because it's kind of gross, but he did. He put mud on my eyes, and then he told me to go wash them. I know, Crazy. But listen, ever since I met Jesus, I can see. I can see. And I'm telling you, everything is different for me now. Everything. So let me ask you this this morning. 
What's your story? What's your story? Let me tell you mine. I grew up in a parsonage, which means my father was a pastor. And when he went from being a pastor to being a missionary, we essentially still lived in a parsonage. It was a ministry home. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 12 years old, but I didn't live for Jesus from the age of 12 until roughly about 21 years of age. At that time of my life, I was stationed on the island of Okinawa, Japan. And my life was primarily consumed by working, drinking, and partying. And one night in the barracks room of my on the floor of my barracks room, I was experiencing alcohol poisoning. If you've never experienced it, you don't want to go there. I was at the lowest place I'd ever been in my life. And in desperation, I cried out to God because I was hurting physically. In desperation, I cried out to God. And in that moment, he reminded me that he wanted all of me. And even though I had given my life to Christ at the age of 12, I hadn't really given my life to God. I hadn't really allowed Christ to come and dwell in my heart. I hadn't really allowed my life to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that moment, that night on that barracks room floor, a switch was flipped in my spirit. A, spirit, a switch was flipped in my life. And I began to walk in a different direction. And I would love to tell you that every day since then has been wonderful and I have never had a problem and I have never dealt with any kind of pain. But I'll tell you that's not true. But here's the difference maker for me. Ever since that night on that barracks room floor, I have been fully aware that this battle is not my own. It rests in his hands and I've surrendered myself to that. And I follow his leading wherever he leads, I will that's my story. And let me tell you this this morning. If you know Jesus, you have a story to share. If you know Jesus, you have a story. Not just the story necessarily of how Jesus saved you, but perhaps the stories of how Jesus... God has blessed you, how God has changed your life, how you have grown in him every day. And these stories are not just to be told in this particular space. I know that there are some that, that think that, that we should be telling more stories in this space. And I'm not opposed to that, but tell, let me tell you something. If you are not telling your story outside of this space, there's no reason to tell it in here. If you're not prepared to tell your story to some guy you run into at Walmart or the guy who's fixing your car at the dealership or the lady who you ran into on the sidewalk or your neighbor or your child, if you're not prepared to tell them your story then and there, there's no reason to tell it here. Your story was intended to change lives. Your story was intended to push people to bring people, to guide people to a place of full surrender. Your story is not intended to be fodder for a pep rally. Do you have a story? 
Are you willing to share your story? To tell your story. It's the last piece of the puzzle. As we begin with prayer and we listen to the hearts of those who are around us as we engage purposefully in fellowship with them and as we choose to serve in ways that actually mean something to them and not so much to us and we wait for God to say, now tell your story. It's what it means to be a blessing church. My hope my sincere hope and my desire for you is that for five weeks we've talked about being a blessing, that you will take this and put it to work in your life. My sincere hope is that at some point down the road you would come to me and say, hey, pastor, I put these names on this card and I've been praying, I've been asking God to open some doors, and I've been trying to listen, and I've been talking, and we had him over for dinner the other night, and now I'm going to be helping him do this at his house, and I'll tell you what, I'm so excited because I think maybe this might be the time I get to tell him about Jesus. Or maybe you walk in here one Sunday morning and you say, Pastor, I want to introduce you to, 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 to Jack and Jill over here. And Jack and Jill have been our neighbors for 25 years. 25 years, God forgive us. I don't know why it took us 25 years, but we've lived next door to them. And, and when you start talking about being a blessing, I really wanted to be that for them. And so we've been talking to them and we've been eating with them and we've been working together. And last week I told them about Jesus and they gave their lives to him. And here they are. Here they are. They want to be a part of what we're doing. That would be my hope for you. That would be my desire for you, church. Because that's what this is all about. That's what we're called to do. is to be a blessing. Right where God has placed us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, You have created us to be a blessing. You have not created us to be revolutionaries, to be power brokers. You've created us to be a blessing. And I realize that being a blessing sometimes isn't as exciting, perhaps, doesn't appear as exciting on the surface as some of the other things that we have disobediently pursued in our walk of faith. But you've called us to be a blessing. But even more than that, God, you've promised to bless us so that we can be a blessing. It's like a divine exchange of <laughs> wonderful things for wonderful things. God, remind us today, teach us today, convict our spirits today to understand that this is what it means to be the church. Sure, there are so many things that kind of fall on the periphery that are a part of what we do, and they're not all bad, God. There, there's many things that, that are a part of the function of fellowship. There are many things that are part of the function of ministry, and those things aren't all bad, God. We're not, 
We're not saying they have no value, they have no place, but God, help us to remember that our responsibility as the church is not about 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, it's not about 6 o'clock on Wednesday night, it is about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and then Sunday afternoon when we leave this place. It is about what we do, Father, outside of these doors. It is about how we love those who feel unloved and who feel unwanted so that they can come into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ, so that they can feel that embrace God, that is our task, that is our job, that is a responsibility. Help us, Father, to be obedient in that. Help us to be faithful to the mission that you have given us to go into all corners of this world and to make disciples, to teach, to baptize. Father, help us to be that, that church. Father, we love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and we pray all these things in his name. Amen.